Father God, we thank you. We thank you that there is, there is a thing, a thing that comes from you, a thing that is your heart called grace. And I thank you that we can't even begin to understand it. That it's beyond our wildest hopes. It's beyond our, our most outlandish dreams. There's this, this reality that there's a God, a God who is real, who is omnipotent, who is all-knowing, and who knows us and who chooses to love us even though we can find so little in ourselves. And yet, He has defined our value, you have defined our value as the life of His own Son. Thank You, Lord. Help us to stagger at Your grace today and that any life that has not encountered that grace that they would today. In Jesus' name, Amen. You guys are going to have a seat. Thank you. I got a couple things I got to announce before I get into this. Um, I'm not sure what your time expectations are today, so if you just expand them, that would be good. First of all, I want to thank John and Tammy Orr because they made the place look really pretty, didn't they? I'm telling you what, doesn't it look nice? Thank you guys very, very much. Um, so I wanted to say thank you to them. Uh, the next thing I want to let you know is that. This month, we would like to help people out in our community, specifically our church. And so if you know someone who has some needs coming in this holiday season, um, let myself or Pastor Michael or Miss Tammy Orr, who's standing back there by the giving tree. And, and if you turn around, you'll see she's pulling the van of white, showing you the giving tree. And so um, we should set the room up so you can look both ways. Steve could go from one side, I could go to the other, it would confuse everybody, it'd be great. But anyway, uh, so if you, if you know someone who has some needs, let us know. Also... Please help us meet some of those needs. So uh, cash donations, uh, if you wanted to give to uh, Ordinary Faith, you could. there's envelopes back there. You could do a check or something like that. Just write the word missions on it. You could do an envelope in the back, write the word missions on it. You could bring gift cards and hang on the tree. It would be awesome to just see that tree uh, covered up with things to bless some families. We have several families who have some real needs. And so I really want to, to let you know that we'd like to take this month and and I pray, Lord, that you would just provide everything and it would just be a beautiful season for them. And I pray also that you would guide ordinary faith into this season that we are entering without them. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Would you give them a... I know they can't hear that. We love you guys if you're watching online, which I bet you are. Okay, if this is your first Sunday with us, text word welcome to that number, okay? We promise we won't sell your information, but it would be nice to be able to get in touch with you, okay? So I'm going to get started. Uh, we are starting a new series today called How Sweet the Sound. We're going to take five weeks and cover five different hymns and how they've impacted church life and, and how that we can apply them to our life. Um, this is not a Christmas series. However, we are going to cover a Christmas carol on the Sunday before Christmas. So there, there's my uh, thing. But we, uh, I wanted to, you know, this year's been pretty serious, right? It's been pretty serious. And this is serious too, but this is more fun serious, okay? You know, like it's, it, it's serious if you get a great big gift, but, and you have to figure out what to do with it, but it's also a lot of fun. And so we're going to be talking about some of those gifts, and today we're talking about the most beloved hymn of all time, Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Now, I know you know this, but if, you, if this is your first Sunday, I'll give you a quick education. I am from the South, specifically Tennessee, which is the first part of the South, the first and best. Amen, Janet? First, Janet back there. Anyway, so 
Uh, he's over there. That's right. He's around the sound. <clears throat> so uh, where I come from, we have an expression. We have an expression called bless your heart. Have you ever, has anyone ever said that to you? Well, bless, bless your, do they have that in Oklahoma, Michael? They have it in Oklahoma? Yeah. I mean, Kansas. I'm sorry. I forgot. I'm getting everything wrong today. <laughs> Call the Smiths, the Oars. Anyway. Yeah, so bless your heart. Now, I just want you to know, I don't, I don't know if you know this or not, but if anyone says to you, well, bless your heart, that is not a compliment. It's not a prayer for you. It, sometimes it's a prayer. It's a prayer like this, though. Lord, they're so stupid. They just need you to step in, all right? So I, had, I, I was probably in my third year or fourth year of ministry, I was, in the, I was pastor in Temple Baptist Church in Carrollsville, Missouri, and one of our beloved deacons, Deacon Carl, and he, he was a good deacon. There are good deacons and there are bad deacons, I guess. I don't know. Michael's nodding his head over there, so he's, he's had experiences and, and so forth. We all have our wounds. But everyone's trying to do right by the Lord, I'm sure. But anyway, Carl was one of those sweet, tender-hearted deacons. His wife, he was a widower. His wife had passed away some, uh, some time, and finally he had decided to remarry. And so I was his pastor, and so he asked me to handle the wedding ceremony. I'd been in ministry a couple years. I'd done a couple. I'd already done a few weddings. You know, I felt confident. But it was a Sunday afternoon, and I don't know if you know me or not, but I, Sunday afternoon is just not really a strong time for me. I mean, you call me on Sunday afternoon, no telling what you're going to get. I mean, I might speak in tongues. I might not answer. I might snore in your ear. Anything could happen. So it was like Sunday afternoon, and we're doing the wedding. And I'm reading through the vows. So I normally do two sets of vows. You know, ones that the, you say I will to, and then ones you repeat after me. And on the repeat after me vows, my, my eyes jumped a line into the next set of vows. And, car, and I, I mean, it just it was all messed up. I don't know. I don't even know how it went. This is all I know. Brother Carl loved me so much that he was willing to say anything I told him to say. The problem was we got to the end of the ceremony and I did not know if I had married Carl to his new wife or if he and I were going to have to go get an annulment. I did not know. <laughs> and after that, you know, my church and, and always churches, you know, they love their pastors. And, but sometimes I'm at the back door doing, doing my thing. You know, I, I shake them in, shake them up, shake them down, shake them out. That's my thing. And I'm standing there shaking them out and everybody's coming out. Well, bless your heart, Pastor. We, we sure love you. You're not the brightest light in the room. You're a couple french fries short of a happy meal. Those are all expressions that we think. So, um, have you ever done anything where you called yourself an idiot? Yeah, you're, just, you're driving away from something, and you're saying, oh, you idiot. Well, we're all idiots, aren't we? And so if I said, you're an idiot, I don't want you to get offended at that. I'm just kind of agreeing with something you said in the past, okay? <laughs> All right. Sometimes we do things that aren't, aren't that great. So I want to talk to you about another idiot who can identify with us, and his name is John Newton. He was born in 1773, and only a few of you would remember that year, um, I'm just kidding. Nobody would. I'm 1725, born in 1725. He was a wild young man, a raging drunk. He had a nickname 
His nickname was the Great Blasphemer. That was, that, was what people, that was what his captain of his ship called him, was the Great Blasphemer. Have you ever heard the expression, curse like a sailor or cuss like a sailor? It probably started, it literally probably started with John Newton. His, his captain said of him one time, not only did he use the worst language I've ever heard, but he created new words that exceeded the limits of verbal debauchery. His captain wrote that. He was something else. He was hated by everyone on his ship. Uh, he, he, he worked as a sailor, and he just took sin and blasphemy to a whole new level. He was so hated by his crewmates, crew members that one time he fell overboard, and rather than throw out something like a life preserver, they threw harpoons at him. And, and one account reports that how they got him back on the ship was they actually harpooned him through the leg and dragged him back on the ship. Now, I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I, I have read that before. He just... No one liked John. He was a jerk to everybody. He was a great blasphemer, just a vile, just terrible person. So arrogant that one time his captain had him publicly flogged in front of the entire crew. Eight dozen stripes. He was so angry that he planned to murder the captain and then kill himself. But before he could execute that plan, a storm blew up one night. A violent storm that actually took his best friend overboard and he was never seen again. And John is, is hanging on, trying not to die that night. And for the first time in his life, he starts calling out on this very God that he used to, to blast, that he blasphemed. And asking God to save him and begging God to preserve him through this storm. And he was preserved. And the next day he set out on a journey, reading scriptures, and until he eventually came to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's the guy, the great blasphemer, that wrote the hymn that we just, say, we just sang. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. It saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. My favorite is the second verse. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed. Beautiful hymn. Speaks to all of us. What I want to do today is I want to look at another great blasphemer. I'm going to look in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, we're reading the words of a guy named Paul. And we'll talk a little bit about his story later. But what I, I won't be able to capture the, the essence or the probably not even the heart of Paul as I'm reading this text. And I'm going to read several verses so you get the ideas together. But what I want you to know is that when you read Ephesians 2, you are reading the words of a man who is extremely excited and grateful about what God has done for him. So much so that he can't, he preaches like I do, or he, te he writes like I preach. He, he starts an idea and he gets so excited about the next idea, he just jumps right over to that one and then goes back to the first one. That's what's happening in Ephesians chapter 2. And so let me read it to you, and then we'll talk about this beautiful passage. Once you were dead. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. 
All of us used to live that way. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger just like everyone else. But God, and if you have a way to underline that or note that, you should, those are two of the most beautiful words in Scripture. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms because we are united with Christ, Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed and you can't take credit for this it's a gift from god salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done so none of us can boast about it for we are god's masterpiece and he has created us anew in christ jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago what a passage. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Man, if we could wrap our hearts. And passages like that should make you wonder how you can ever have a bad day. How we can ever feel like today stinks, right? Because there's so much that God has done for us. So here's the sermon today. This is it. If it were one sentence, this would be it. You, you were, but God, and by grace. Okay, that's not a sentence. You were but God, and by grace. As a follower of Jesus Christ, what you are now is not what you were. Amen? Now, I need your help today. I, these masks are killing me. I don't know what's going on behind that mask. Creeps me out. Just, just saying. I'm walking through stores, and you know you're trying to tell if people are smiling by their eyes, and some people's eyes don't tell, and some people look like they're just mocking you with their eyes, and so I, I realize that. So every chance I get to hear you or, or just, I don't know, you could, just something, let me know you're, you're alive, okay? And, and if you're not alive, wave there. I got, I got EMTs in the room to help you liven up, okay? I'm not going to reread those verses again, but Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, tap into what we once were. And, and I'm telling you, that is a heavy passage. It's one that everyone needs to wrap their heart around. We need to get in our minds, this idea that of what we used to be. We were dead. And if you don't know Christ yet, this, there's a part of you that's dead because of disobedience and because of your many sins. Now, I know the word sin is unpopular, okay? But it's such a necessary concept to wrap our heads around and our hearts around to think about where we were or where someone is before they meet Jesus Christ. You see, before you meet Christ, before you have that encounter with Him, before you surrender to Him, you, you may be living what you think is your best life. You may, things may be going quite well, but it's not going like you think it is. In fact, what's really happening, that a life without Christ, you're really just racking up sins. I mean, you're really just adding bad to bad each day without Him. Excuse me. <coughs> Uh, I have a cough, but I'm, I'm okay. Try not to panic, all right? So I, I call you 
That term, I know it's harsh to call someone an idiot, so if I call myself an idiot, <laughs> like the great blasphemer John Newton, I, when I live life my own way and do my own thing, I set myself up as God over me. I'm doing what I want. And in doing what I want, I'm insulting the God who created me to worship him. Okay? And that's something that may be hard to understand. We live in a world that just really likes to think that everyone is basically good. That likes to say that. I have no idea what the evidence would be for such a conclusion. Why would anyone think that most people are basically good in the world in which we live today? And I think our only basis for that is we like to think that we are basically good. Oh, I think I'm, I'm a basically good person. But if we were actually really honest with ourselves, we actually just use and abuse a whole lot of people to get what we want most of the time. I know that may come as, you know, kind of a, an insult or a bit abrasive. But the, the truth is, without God, we, we just are not good. A lot of people think of good and bad as like degrees of things. Okay, like, like a steak. Ooh, I'm going to make myself hungry right here, okay? A steak. You, you cook a steak into the, to one, the 130s, you got a rare steak. It might still be mooing when it gets on your plate at the 130s. You get it in the 140s, you got a medium rare steak. Mm, that's, that's my happy place in, the, in there. The 150s, if you cook it up there, you got, a, you got a medium steak. And if you cook it in the 160s, you got a burnt steak. All right? All right, that's, they call, some people call it well done. That is wrong. And no cow should have to endure that kind of punishment. Amen? Can I get an amen? <laughs> I'm just picking on you guys. I'm just picking on you guys. Sin is not like the steak. And a lot of people like to think of it like that. They like to think, well, I got some mistakes in my life, but I'm not really, I'm not really that bad. I mean, I got a few sins. I got a smoky smell. Bad. I get a few more sins on me. I got some black marks, but I'm still okay. But if you get too many, you're burnt, you know? We're like a dropped steak. One of my favorite steaks is the whiskey steak at Santa Fe, and I realize I probably just got them a bunch of orders for the afternoon. You, that, that's a delicious steak, and, and they bring it out, and, and, and they're coming to you. You've been waiting on them. You've been trying to talk to your wife, but you can't because you're focused on the steak that's coming. What I really missed was the jacketed potato that the nine hire used to have. Well, you put the whiskey steak in the jacketed potato, you got cardiac arrest in a happy afternoon, you know. And uh, they're bringing it out, and here comes the waitress, you know, and she's... You can't even see her. You just see the steam coming off your steak and you're ready to eat. But then she stumbles. And there goes your steak. And it lands on the floor right where the oil field guys just walked through. And that steak went from good to bad in one motion. Okay? Now I know some of you are going, well, just wipe that thing off and give it to me free and I'm done. I get it. I, I understand. But I'm not that way. <laughs> I worked in the food business. <laughs> Good to bad is one thing. And so sin and goodness and badness are not about degrees. It's a, it's a yes or no thing. You are either all good or you are all bad. 
And you can't go from all bad to all good without a miracle. Before, before Christ showed up in your life, before Christ came into the world, we did not need to improve. We did not need to reform. We needed a miracle. And so that's, that's what Paul's pointing out. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, and you actually did what the devil told you to do. That's what Paul's saying. And, he, and he's telling that about everyone. He, he's, being, he's capturing everybody in that idea. You obeyed the devil because you did what you wanted and not what God wanted. That's where people are without Jesus. That's where Michael is without Jesus. And that's where you are without Jesus. Say amen to that. That's the truth. I'm not making it up. I'm not trying to insult you. But until you wrap your head around how bad the situation is, you will never wrap your head around why John Newton could write a song called Amazing Grace that has lasted for centuries and has rocked every heart that truly heard it because until you know how bad it was, you can never embrace how good it is. Do you understand? All right? Thank you. It helps a lot. I know you're here. That's good. Until you get bad, you can't get good. The Bible says in Luke 5, 32, Jesus said, I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners and need to repent. If you are coming to Jesus to fix your marriage, to fix your finances, to fix your family, You're coming for the wrong reasons. The right reason to come to Jesus is to fix you. You, me, we are dead. And we are in trouble. Once you get that, then you are ready to hear the two most beautiful words you're ever going to hear. And they are this simple words... But God. But God. I was a wreck. I was a jerk. I was a blasphemer, a liar, a thief. I used and I abused. I had no claim whatsoever to any good thing but God, who is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages ages, as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he's done for us who are united with Christ. That's Paul's heart. You see, Paul was messed up too. We, we venerate the Apostle Paul. He wrote much of the New Testament. We, we lift him up and put him on a pedestal. And it is an honor to be the one to write the word of God, no doubt. But Paul would probably be, if he were among us today, he would probably be the first one to argue that he deserved no pedestal. Because you see, what you, don't, you may not know about Paul 
is that Paul also was a great blasphemer. That Paul also was a jerk. You see, in the Middle East, in Islam, you, we get offended when we see videos come out of um, extremists beheading Christians. Paul wasn't, he wasn't in Islam, he wasn't a Muslim, but he was a Jew. In the Jewish faith, they would stone people who were Christians, who, who blasphemed their faith. And that's actually the first time we meet Paul in Acts chapter 7. We see him there as Stephen is being stoned because Stephen called out the religious system that was, and he called it a system that crucified Christ and persecuted all the prophets. And it was a huge insult to the Sanhedrin and all the Jewish leadership. Stephen had just called that out. Everyone went irate. They went nuts, and they began to stone him. And Paul was there keeping people's coats from being stolen, agreeing with what was happening, with what was going to happen. Paul hated Christianity. Paul, he left that stoning of Stephen with a fervor to see more people die, with a bloodlust in his heart, because he was so angry that this this spirit-filled guy named Stephen would accuse his faith of rejecting God and killing God's Messiah. And Paul went nuts, and he, he was a man who was a sinner. I asked myself as I was thinking through, what, what would Paul say? I mean, if we had Paul here, what, how, would he, how would he break down where Paul was before Jesus showed up in his life? I think he'd say it. Something like this. I'll try it. Probably won't come off right, but I'll try it. I hated them. They accused holy Jerusalem and our honored Sanhedrin of murder and lumped all of our leaders in with the persecutors of the past, the ones who'd killed the prophets. When I thought of Christians, my blood boiled. I wanted them silenced. They can't say that. That can't be true. And this Jesus guy, he's just, he was just a troublemaker. If he weren't a troublemaker, they wouldn't have crucified him for claiming to be God. He was a blasphemer. Unless, unless that's true. When I got a chance to demonstrate my zeal to the sand. Hedron, I took it. I made sure that no Christian would survive my zeal. I went to catch them, to assault them, to end them because my faith depended on it. And then I met him. I was on my way to Damascus and I was angry and I was fuming. And then everything went bright. Not dark, bright. And in the bright, I met Jesus. And the most notable thing I noticed was that he wasn't mad. He asked me why I was resisting the truth I could plainly see. And for the first time in my life, being unable to see anything else, I saw everything. In that moment... I realized that my mission to protect my faith was really just a mission 
to protect my pride. And he gave me a new mission. And he gave me a new purpose. I saw my anger and my insecurities dissolve. I was shattered. And I was reborn. And in all of that, he stopped me from condemning myself for eternity. He loved me. And he saved me. But God, God showed up in Paul's life, who was another great, great blasphemer, and, and God saved him, and it was the last thing he deserved. So you were a knucklehead for sure, and a sinner, and broken. But God, God's not okay broken condition. God's not okay with you not being okay. And then by grace. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's workmanship. God's masterpiece. I'm sorry, I grew up on the King James. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. You see, the cross of Jesus and what Jesus did there is embedded in something else that happened thousands of years before to the nation of Israel. You see, the nation of Israel was a nation that God showed up to and he chose to love. They were a nation that had a messed up past. They were broken. Their great great their great great granddaddy was a coward. And their great granddaddy was a chicken. And their granddaddy was a thief and a liar. Okay? And they ended up in a in their and their daddies were murderers. I should throw that out there. They were violent men. And when we encounter them in Exodus Chapters 1 and 2, they're a slave nation who've been in slavery for 400 years. I will never know how a, a group of people thousands of years ago were able to hang on to the promises that God gave Abraham and Isaac and Joseph for 400 years. I can't hang on to stuff for 40 minutes. But for 400 years, this nation of people held on to a promise that God was going to deliver them. And what happened was that one night, i got to cut the story short because I've only got an hour and a half to finish. <laughs> one night, God was going to come and judge everybody. That's what you got to understand. There are two nations in the land of Egypt. There's the nation of Egypt and the family slash nation of Israel. And here's the thing. They were both bad. We like to think that just by virtue of the fact that you're being oppressed, that you are, you are therefore inherently good because you're the one who's oppressed, that's not true, okay? You've got to understand, the nation of Egypt was evil. The nation of Israel was also evil. They were both bad. They were both broken. 
And God spoke to the nation of Israel because he had a promise to them. And he said, if you will, will put the blood of a lamb over the door and then the post of the door, then I'm going to come through and I'm going to judge everybody. But if I come through and you've got that blood over the door, I'm going to pass over you. And that's exactly what happened. The nation of Israel, who was also, they were just as bad as Egypt. They were just as bad. But the grace of God is for bad people, not good people. Okay? So therefore, if you are willing to accept that you're bad, you can encounter amazing grace. Okay? So God came through, and the nation of Israel, by the act of God passing over them, were actually made a holy nation that night. They were called out from the rest of the judgment that was going on and that they had that one simple act of obedience. They killed a lamb and took its blood and put it over the door. One simple act of belief. I believe that God will pass over us if we will do what he says. That's the, the nation. That's what the cross of Jesus, to understand what Jesus did on the cross, you have to look at that story. Now, back to Jesus. God sent his son. He was born just like everyone in this room was born. In all the mire and the muck and the pain of birth. The son of God, that's how he came into the world. His dad was really his stepdad. There was all kinds of, of um, talk and gossip around his mother because of the way he came into the world. But he came into the world, he was sent from God, and he came here on a mission. And so on that mission, he loved people, he listened to people, he held people, he healed people, he rose people from the dead, he taught people, he argued with religious proud people, he stood up for people, stood up for the broken. That's what he did for three and a half years. That was his ministry people because God loves people and the son who is God according to John chapter 1 loves like God loves and Jesus loved people just look at his interactions with the disciples I would have gib smacked all those boys if they were my disciples you know what I mean Gibbs never mind I'm sorry he came and for all of his love for all of his patience and all of his teaching, all of his truth, we nailed him to a cross. He was chased, he was persecuted, he was argued with, he was finally arrested, he was then convicted, and he was then condemned. And then he was scourged, beaten with whips, by his stripes were healed, and then he was nailed to a cross. As he was being nailed to a cross, as the nails are going into his hands and wrists, he says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing. And they nail him to the cross, and they drop the cross in a hole in the ground, and they leave him there to die. Another man was on one side of him, who started out mocking Jesus, but by the end of the day, he says to Jesus, this guy hadn't done anything right his whole life. He's on the cross for the crimes that he committed, and he rightly and admitted that he deserved to be there. But on that cross, he realized there was something different about Jesus, and he said to Jesus, remember me. He didn't even say, forgive me. He just said, remember me today when you, when, you go, when you go into paradise. And Jesus said, today, we're walking into paradise, you and me, together. 
That man never paid tithe. That man never went, out, went to church, never said amen to a sermon or a message. That man just said, Jesus, I realize I'm unworthy. I see that you are. Would you remember me? And Jesus said, I could never forget you. I created you, and forgetting you is not an option. And today we're going home. You see in this how beautiful grace is and how Jesus did that. And then Jesus died, and as he died, he shouted out, Telestai, which means it is finished, paid in full. He was done, then he died. And then three days, that afternoon, they put him in a tomb. They tried to prepare his body for burial, but they didn't have enough time. They put him in the tomb. Saturday was the Sabbath. They couldn't do anything. All they could do Saturday was be sad and grieve. That's all they could do Saturday. But then Sunday morning hit. And then Sunday morning, they went to finish what they couldn't finish on Friday. And then they never got to finish it. Because the Jesus who was dead on Friday afternoon was no longer dead on Sunday morning. You see, what happened was this. God said in Exodus, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. On Friday, God saw the blood. And on Sunday, God passed over you. That is grace. No one deserves it. No one can earn it. What you and I deserve, what we deserve, Jesus took. And what we could never earn, God gave. Do you understand? You see, this is the gospel. You were born terrible and got worse. Sorry. It's just the truth. And it's true for me, too. In fact, it's true for every person. But that's our life. We were born. We did what we wanted. We used and abused people. We have no hope of standing before God one day and God saying, okay, this one's good and can come into my good heaven. No one has any hope of that whatsoever. We don't even have the means to accomplish anything truly good with our own strength. But here's the good news. Here's, here's the best news ever. And I'll, I'll tell it to you the way that I heard it when I was young. I like the King James. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that's not of yourselves. It's a gift from God. I don't know where you're at in your spirit today. If you came to Ordinary Faith and maybe it's your first time here, or maybe you've been coming a while and you've been trying to figure out this God thing, man, do I get it. I'm just here to tell you that the greatest journey begins when you accept the truth about you. And in accepting the truth about you, you turn to Jesus Christ. 
And you receive what you could never earn. And then you escape what you really did earn. That's what today is about. It's about coming to a place of faith in your life. If you're already a believer, it's about rejoicing about how good the gift is. But if you have never come to that place where you've said, okay, I can't be my own God. It actually sounds stupid when I say it out loud. I need a God. And there's this God who loved me so much that He sent His only Son to do what I could not. To give me what I could never have. And so if you'll bow your heads with me and if I could get the worship team to come forward. <coughs> I just want to help a little bit here. That's all. Michael's going to be on my left, your right. There's a wooden cross over there. He'd be available to talk to you. But with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've never come to a place where you have placed Jesus Christ on the throne of your life, accepted your own badness, and are ready for some real goodness, pray something like this. Just, you don't have to say it out loud. You can just pray it with me. It's just something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm broken. I've done everything I know to fix me, and I can't. And God, I hear today that you actually care about me. I, I hear that even though I'm a wreck, you know how to fix wrecks. And God, I need saved. I need saved from me, and I need saved from this world, and I need saved from the darkness. God, would you save me? Now, if you're praying that right now and you ask that question, God, would you save me? I want you to listen for a second. Just listen. Because your heart's hearing a message right now. What I want you to do is we're going to sing, My Chains Are Gone. And when we sing, we stand. I want you to let somebody know. Pastor Michael's over here on my left. He's at the cross, and he can help you work through all, any details about trusting Jesus Christ. If you're online, text the word MORE to 307-224-4404. 307-224-4404. Text the word MORE to that, and we'll get in touch with you. We will. Father, don't let anyone leave without real hope today. Please, let every person know that grace is amazing. In Jesus' name, let's stand.